This evening, we're continuing this short series, which uh, I've titled Cultivating Christian Character. And by way of review, it'll help us to remember that we began this series with a focus on the difference between personality and character. They're not the same thing, and and oftentimes we can be confused about this because it's sometimes difficult to tell the difference between personality and character. And so just to be clear about it, uh, I'm sure that we've all met that used car salesman who had personality for days. I mean, that person can just sell you, you know, just the, the worst car on the lot and smile doing it. And so personality for days, and yet you couldn't help but to wonder if they're trying to sell you a lemon uh, with a big smile on their face. And, and the reason for this is based on the fact that a person can have a winning personality while simultaneously using it to hide their corrupt character. Uh, for the sake of clarity, I should remind you that personality, it has more to do with the way we present ourselves to others. Well, character, on the other hand, character is the person we actually are on the inside. And it's sad to say that there are many people in the world today who are working hard to present a winning personality, all the while attempting to mask the corrupt character that leads every person to embrace the carnal cravings that's, uh, that are found hidden within our hearts. Uh, so listen, it's so much more important to develop you know, a Christ-like character than it is to have a winning personality. If we can have both and wonderful, Uh, But if you can only do one or the other, trust me when I tell you that character is more important than personality. Now, before we begin to think, uh, you know, that uh, that there's somebody else that we hope will hear this study. And and, and we can tend to think that way, right? Oh, I, you know, I know someone who's really going to get, you know, spanked with this one. don't, Don't don't do that. It's important for us to realize that we all have a character that has been affected by our fallen nature. And so if if you're thinking of someone else right now that needs to hear this, then you're the one who actually needs to hear it. Uh, You know, we all have a character that's been affected by our fallen nature. Therefore, uh, we would all do well to recognize that this study is good for all of us. You see, every Christian has been called to cultivate a character that reflects uh, the character of Christ Jesus. And it's for this reason that I started this study by helping you to understand that the person who wants to cultivate Christian character uh, must first embrace biblical convictions. We need biblical convictions to cultivate Christian character. And the reason for, for this, well, it's based on the fact that our character is connected to the morals that we embrace. Character is connected to the morals we embrace. And not only that, but character is also affected by the moral laws we choose to ignore. If we choose to ignore moral law, then our character ends up being affected by that. And while it's true that the Lord has written the moral law upon our hearts, it's also true that there are many who choose to harden their hearts against the moral law of the Lord. And we do this by allowing our conscience to become calloused by engaging in all of our evil desires. The more often we ignore our conscience, the more uh, we allow it to become calloused. This, in turn, affects our character. It's for this reason that that most people uh, end up allowing their character to grow more and more corrupt as time goes on. And the reason why is because uh, most people continue to reject the moral law which is written upon their hearts in some way, shape, or form. Now, in order to reverse this sort of uh, corruption of of the character, we must begin by first developing biblical convictions. And and the reason why is because of this. Biblically-based convictions 
are able to help us to see where we've allowed a, a, a callousness to form over our conscience. Left to ourselves, you know, we'll, we'll end up blinding ourselves. We'll end up going down a path of self-deception so that we, you know, uh, we, we, we're no longer able to see what it is that we're doing that's so sinful. But when we study the Bible and when we begin to embrace biblically-based convictions, we're able to, to then see clearly that we've allowed a callus to form over our conscience. Not only that, but biblically-based convictions will also help us to cultivate a Christian character as we allow the Word of God to, to correct us and perfect us all for the glory of God. And so we began this whole series last week with a focus on the importance of biblically-based convictions. And while it's true that the cultivation of Christian character begins with biblically-based convictions, it's also true that the cultivation of Christian character will help us to become believers who are then being filled with Christ-like compassion. And now with this as the goal, I want to take some time to consider the compassionate character of Christ. And with this as the focus, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, because here in Matthew 15, we find a perfect example of Christ's compassionate character. As you make your way to the 15th chapter of Matthew's gospel account, we should take a moment to consider the connection between character and compassion. Now, for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that the word compassion, it speaks of both sympathy and empathy for others. Compassion is the sympathy we feel when we see others suffering. And not only that, but compassion is also the empathy we experience as we consider the feelings of others. And as we consider the sinless character of Jesus Christ, there should be no doubt in our minds that those who are cultivating a Christian character, uh, we're going to become compassionate Christians who care about others because uh, this is what we see in the life of Jesus Christ. In order to prove my point, let's consider the story that Matthew presents here in his gospel account. If you would look with me there at Matthew uh, chapter 15, I want to begin reading there at verse 30. Here we learn that great multitudes came to Jesus, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's describing the compassion that he felt for those who had been following him for three days. That word compassion, which is found there in the middle of verse 32 it's translated from a Greek word which speaks of the sympathetic feelings that motivate us to move from emotion to action. And in order to better understand how true compassion always leads to action, let's consider the, uh, the uh, story that, uh, that, that Matthew recorded here in this chapter. Let's continue to make our way through these verses. If you would uh, look with me there beginning at verse 33. Uh, here we learn that Jesus' disciples said to him, uh, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, 
and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Here in these verses, we see how the compassion of Christ Jesus moved him from emotion to action. He had an emotion, emotional experience as he saw uh, that the people were hungry. And, and, and you, know, you, you see that sympathy forming within his heart and within his mind. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with just emotion. No, it, it was emotion that moved to action. And, and, and he goes and seeks a solution for all these hungry people who had followed him for those three days. And, and he began by asking his discouraged disciples to, to go and gather the food that was available. They, they seemed like it was a hopeless cause and, and that there wasn't going to be enough food for anyone. But he sent them to collect the food. And after collecting the small amount of bread and fish that was available, the Lord Jesus then prayerfully asks his heavenly father to multiply the meager amount of food so that the multitude might have something to eat. And, and in light of this example, we can see then how the character of Christ Jesus, it's demonstrated by that heartfelt compassion which moved him from empathetic emotion to prayerful proaction. It didn't just stay with just secret sympathy within his heart. No, he began to pray. He began to seek a solution. He gathered the food. He prayed over the food. He, he asked the Father to multiply the food. And the Lord blessed it. Now in light of his example, there should be no doubt in our minds that the cultivation of Christian character, it ought to help us to become more Christ-like. If we're cultivating Christian character, listen, the word Christian speaks of uh, you know, being imitators of Christ or being little Christs. And as we consider the compassionate character of Jesus Christ, well, the Christian who is developing a Christ-like character will also become compassionate, just like our Savior Jesus was compassionate. And if we're truly becoming compassionate in the same way that our Savior Jesus was compassionate, then listen, our compassion is going to move us to action as we set out to care for those that we see suffering. In order to further grasp the compassionate character of Christ, I want to consider another story that Matthew recorded. It's in the 20th chapter of his gospel account. And so if you would turn with me now to Matthew chapter 20, here we find another example of Christ's compassionate character. And as you're making your way there to the 20th chapter of Matthew, I just want to take a moment to point out that those who demonstrate Christ-like character will be known for our acts of compassion. We won't just be known for, uh, you know, for the sympathy that we feel, but we'll become known for the sympathetic actions that we take. And in order to prove my point, let's look here at Matthew chapter 20. I want to draw your attention beginning there at verse 29. Here we learn that Jesus and his disciples went out to, uh, of Jericho and a great multitude followed them. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road when they, uh, when they heard that Jesus was passing by cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion. And notice, he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. 
Here in these verses, we find these two blind men. They're crying out for the Lord to have mercy on them. And it's interesting to note that the word mercy, which is found there in verse 30, it's actually translated from another Greek word, which is synonymous with the Greek word, which was rendered compassion there in verse 34. These are synonymous Greek words. They both speak of compassion that leads to action. To be more specific, the Greek word which here is rendered mercy, it's there in verse 30, that Greek word speaks of the compassion that results in kind acts of benevolence. Therefore, the two blind men were actually crying out, Lord, son of David, please show us your compassionate kindness. As we consider the request of these blind men, there should be no doubt that these guys had already heard all about the compassionate care of Christ Jesus. They had never seen it. They were blind. But they had heard all about it. And after hearing about the miraculous ministry of our Messiah, they didn't hesitate to ask the Lord to heal them once they heard that he was walking past them. They cried out and they asked the Lord to show them compassion, benevolent compassion. And it's there in verse 34 where we learn that Christ Jesus was moved with compassion. And as a result, he acted. He wasn't just moved to compassion in the sense of, oh, I feel bad for these guys, they're blind. He was moved to compassion, and so he reached out and touched their eyes. His compassion led to action, and immediately, once he touched their eyes, their eyes received sight, and they they began to follow him. And in light of this story, we can see then that the compassionate character of Christ Jesus, it actually preceded him. The compassionate character of Christ preceded him, which is to say that everybody heard about it. Stories were told about the compassionate miracles of Christ Jesus. And in light of this, it's important to understand that true compassion isn't invisible pity. True compassion isn't, you know, some secret sympathy that that isn't experienced by others. No, instead, true compassion is emotion that becomes action. It's empathetic emotion that becomes prayerful proaction. And it's a proactive sympathy that ends up impacting the lives of others as they see our acts of compassion. In order to further prove my point, let's consider the story that Mark recorded in the first chapter of his gospel account. Let's turn, uh, let's turn forward to Mark chapter 1. You see, it's here in Mark chapter 1 where we find a man who was suffering from leprosy. He was seeking the compassionate touch of Christ Jesus. And, and just to be clear, it's important to understand that there's no natural cure for leprosy. And seeing how leprosy is an extremely contagious, contagious disease which causes a person to end up looking like the walking dead, the lepers of Israel were required to live in colonies because it was so contagious. They were required to live in colonies in order to avoid the accidental infection of others. And not only that, but they were also required to announce themselves as unclean. If they made their way into town, if they made their, their way through the, through the marketplace, they would have to announce unclean, unclean, so that people would just kind of step aside. With all this in mind, imagine for a moment the hope as well as the fear that filled the heart of this leopard, uh, leper, I should say. Uh, leopard is a whole different critter. But, uh, but, the, but the, heart, the heart of this leper was probably filled with, with, with both hope and fear once he saw the opportunity to connect with Christ Jesus. 
Look with me here at Mark chapter one. I want to begin reading at verse 40. Here we learn that a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then notice, Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. In these verses, we find this man suffering from leprosy and, and he comes to the Lord and asks the Lord to heal him and it was with all compassion that the Lord Jesus reaches out his hand first and touches him. Chances are, no one had touched this man since he had been diagnosed with this disease. Who's gonna dare touch a leper and risk contracting this contagious disease? No one but the Lord. And it was the compassion of the Lord Jesus that moved him to action. It was the compassion of Christ Jesus that moved him to touch this man first. And then he declared those compassionate words, be cleansed. Now in light of the Lord's example, there should be no doubt in our minds that Christ-like compassion, it isn't an inactive pity. It isn't a pity that remains hidden within our hearts. Christ-like compassion, it isn't a silent sympathy that, that we can simply ignore and suppress. No, instead, Christ-like compassion is an empathetic emotion that moves us to prayerful proaction. And as we prayerfully act upon those feelings of compassion, we simultaneously cultivate Christian character. In order to prove my point, I want to consider a parable that Jesus presented in Luke chapter 10. So if you would, uh, let's turn to the 10th chapter of Luke's gospel account. And as you're making your way to Luke chapter 10, I should take a moment to point out that those who are actually cultivating Christian character, well, we end up becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. If we're cultivating Christian character, then we're becoming more like Christ Jesus. Therefore, if you want to be certain that you are, in fact, cultivating Christian character, then it's as easy as asking yourself, uh, is my life looking more and more like Christ Jesus? And if you want to know if your life is looking more and more like Christ Jesus, then, then just simply ask yourself this, am I actually allowing compassion to become action? Am I allowing compassion to become action? Or do I still silence my sympathy by ignoring the suffering of others? With these questions in mind, let's consider the parable that Jesus presents here in Luke chapter 10. If you would look with me there, we'll begin reading at verse 30. Here the Lord Jesus declares, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, as we consider the beginning of this parable, I would assume that if this were an actual situation and not just a fictional parable, I would assume that the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan would have all felt sorry for that man who had been robbed. I'm going to guess as each of them saw the man lying there in the ditch that they would have all felt sorry for the guy. 
And yet as we consider this parable, we see that it was only the Samaritan who actually had compassion for the victim. See, it's one thing to have pity for someone and to just feel sorry for them. It's another thing to have compassion for them because compassion leads to action. And according to Jesus, the compassion of the Samaritan was demonstrated by his actions. As a matter of fact, look with me here again at Luke chapter 10. We'll pick up our study of this parable there at verse 34. Here we learn that the Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Now, I want to stop right there because here we find the Lord Jesus describing the way in which the compassion of the Samaritan moved him to action. And, and so while most people feel a certain amount of pity for those who we see suffering, the person who is cultivating true Christ-like character we will begin to have a heart that is filled with compassion. And listen, it's a, it's a compassion that becomes action as we seek to help those who are suffering. And according to Jesus, this is something that ought to be true of every single believer. In order to prove my point, let's turn our attention now back to the point of application that Jesus is drawing now from this parable. Look with me again there at Luke chapter 10. I want to draw your attention there to the middle of verse 37. Here Jesus declares... Go and do likewise. There's the point of application from this parable. Go and do likewise. And when Jesus says go and do likewise, clearly he's not asking us to follow in the footsteps of the priest who passed on by because he didn't want to be unclean if the body happened to be dead. Jesus isn't telling us to go and do likewise like the Levite who probably felt sorry for the victim but just not enough to stop and help. No, instead, when Jesus says go and do likewise, he's referring to the Samaritan. Jesus was directing his disciples to go and do likewise by becoming believers who follow the example of the compassionate Samaritan. And with this as our goal, let's make sure that we're truly cultivating Christian character. Let's make sure that we're cultivating the, the Christ-like character that moves us from empathetic emotions to prayerful proaction. We should be moved to action by compassionately caring for those that we see suffering. There are many ways for us to demonstrate compassion for others, but I believe that one of the best ways, or, or at least the first place that we ought to begin, is by leading people to Jesus. And with this as the focus, if you will, let's turn our Bibles now to Mark chapter 9. Here in Mark 9, we find a man, he's actually bringing his own son to the Lord. And as you're making your way to the ninth chapter of Mark's gospel account, I want to take a moment to point out that it's completely impossible for us to meet every need that we see. So, so please understand, I'm not suggesting that you know every time you see anyone in need, you have to stop and take care of it yourself. If I stopped and gave money to every homeless person here in Austin, Texas, it wouldn't be long before I was living on the streets right beside them. And so I certainly don't mean to suggest that you know, we have to go and take care of every single you know, guy in the ditch that we see along the way. It's crucial for us to be spirit-led 
as we set out to show compassion to others. And with that being the case, uh, we ought to begin with just the best place to start when we attempt to show compassion to others. And I believe the best way for us to begin showing compassion to those who are suffering is to begin by taking the time to lead them to Jesus first. And, and with this in mind, look with me there at Mark chapter 9. I want to begin reading there at verse 17. Here Mark tells us that one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has, he, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, here's what the father asks. Have compassion on us and help us. Here in these verses, we find the father of this demon-possessed boy bringing his son to Jesus, and he's begging the Lord Jesus to have compassion on them, on both him and his son. You see, this man knew that he didn't have the ability to help his boy. He had compassion for his son, but no ability to do anything about it. He didn't have the ability to help his son, though his heart was filled with compassion for his boy. Therefore, he did the best thing that he could do. He took his son to Jesus. He sought a healing touch from the one who can help everyone. Thankfully for him, the, the Lord Jesus was willing and the Lord Jesus was able to, to cast out the demon, but, but not before challenging this father to really walk by faith. As a matter of fact, look with me there at Mark chapter 9. I want to pick up the study at verse 23. Here Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Probably one of the best prayers that any of us could ever pray. I believe, but there's still some, some, some doubt. There's still some area that I'm struggling with belief. Help my unbelief. Such a beautiful and humble prayer to pray. And when Jesus saw that people came running together, verse 25 he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus challenging the faith of that father who was asking for help. And, and we see the father humbling, humbly asking the Lord to help him to overcome that unbelief. And, and that's when Christ Jesus then showed his compassion by turning and casting the evil spirit out of the boy. As we consider the intriguing details of this story, uh, you know, we must not fail to recognize here that the father was correct to, to seek the compassion of Christ Jesus on behalf of his son. He wanted to help his son, but didn't have the power to do it. So he leads him to Jesus Christ. 
And it's important for us to realize that the father led his son to Jesus so that both of them could receive the compassionate touch of the Lord. He, he wanted help for both his son and for himself. And in light of his example, I, I believe that the best thing that we can do for those who are suffering is to begin by first leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true of believers and unbelievers. For the unbeliever, they, they need to you know, enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's believers who are suffering and struggling as well, and, and, and we tend to, to forget that the Lord is here to help us. Sometimes a, a believing brother or sister just needs to be reminded, hey, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord for help. But regardless of whether we're talking about a believer or an unbeliever, listen, we don't have the resources, we don't have all the time and, and the treasure that we need to help every single person all of the time. But we can certainly lead them in a time of prayer. We can lead them to Christ Jesus who has compassion for everyone. And that's where we ought to begin. I'll remind you, the Lord Jesus didn't feed the multitudes until they followed him for three days. It was three days after following Jesus that he had compassion on them. And, and, you know, sometimes we can be so compassionate that we're just too quick to show compassion. Sometimes the Lord is saying, wait, chill. Let's allow people to get a little hungry before we show them compassion. Before we rush out and give everything we have to everyone in need, Let's make sure that our acts of compassion begin with a focus on the one who alone is able to actually solve every problem. And then after we seek the Lord on behalf of those who are suffering, it's important to realize that there are going to be those times when the Lord is calling us to be the Good Samaritan. When the Lord is calling us to, to take our resources and use it to provide aid to those who are struggling. It's at those times when we're given the opportunity to cultivate Christian character by allowing the compassion of Christ Jesus to move us from emotion to action. I like the way that James put it in the second chapter of his epistle. It's James 2, verses 14 through 18, where James declares this. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Christian, listen, if you really want to show others that you've truly been born again, the best way to show them is through your work. Anybody can say, I'm born again. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. You know how many times I come across people when I'm out evangelizing that are just kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you begin to dig into what is it that you believe and, and who is it that you're trusting in. And it doesn't take long to, to, to discover that the claim, I'm a Christian, is a very easy statement to make. And that's why James is saying, you say you have faith, show me. 
You say you believe in Jesus? Let's see it in your life. The person who truly trusts in Jesus Christ is going to be cultivating Christian character. And the person who is cultivating Christian character is going to demonstrate that character through acts of compassion. Therefore, the person who's truly cultivating Christian character is, is not only going to say, you know, be warmed and filled, but they're going to provide uh, the necessary things to warm and fill that person. I like the way that the Apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 3, where he declares, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If you truly are a born-again believer, then you will begin to cultivate Christian character. And one evidence that you are, in fact, cultivating Christian character, it will be seen in the Christ-like compassion that we demonstrate as we set out to love one another in deed and in truth. And so with that, I encourage us in closing, let's cultivate Christian character by allowing Christ Jesus to fill our hearts with his compassion. And then by the leading of the Holy Spirit, let's demonstrate that compassion by allowing emotion to become Christ-like action. Let's pray.